Amen. All right. Psalm 120, God's word says this, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree? Woe to me that I sojourn in Mesek, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. Over the next 10 weeks, we're traveling, we're journeying together through uh, these psalms, the the songs of ascent as we know them, as they're titled in in the uh, subscription there, near the numbered psalm in your Bible. Each year, my family, uh, we travel uh, back home, back to our home state, right around Christmas time to go and visit friends and family and and to celebrate Christmas with them. And every, we, about four or three years ago, three years ago, we moved out here, we drove, it's about an 1800 mile drive. I think when we got here, we vowed we're never going to drive that distance ever again in our lives. And so we, we purchase plane tickets and fly back home to visit at Christmas time. And every year when I fly, I take this pack with me. You guys like my zebra colored pillow? My neck pillow? Take this pack with me uh, to carry along the way for our journey to, to bring some necessities, right? Uh, so usually I have my iPad in there. I'll download a, a few uh, movies on there. Got my earbuds in so I can listen uh, to the movies. Uh, have Put a couple books in there just to kind of break up the time because it could be, the flight could be anywhere from six hours to eight hours depending on layovers and stuff like that. Uh, most importantly, I put some snacks in there, right? Some beef jerky, cookies, some chips, things like that. Um, and also, I'll usually bring an empty bottle for water because you can't take full bottles through. You'll get flagged with TSA. So you take an empty bottle and then you can fill it up. So I just have those necessities uh, for the journey. In these Psalms here, we see that, that the Jews are traveling. They're going on the way and they're heading to a destination. They're going to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was, was on a mountain. It was up. And they are, so they are ascending up to this mountain. And what they would do, we have these 15 Psalms as they would recite and sing these Psalms as they were going along in their journey. They were the truth of God that they, they brought with them. They were the necessities that informed them uh, along the way, much like my pack that I bring along with me on my journey back to my home state to celebrate uh, Christmas. At first glance, if if you've read through these Psalms at all in this week leading up, you notice that the the topics may seem a little scattered and strange, but they, they ministered to the heart of God's people as they traveled and journeyed along the way. Uh, usually the, the Jews would travel to Jerusalem for festivals throughout the year, and this is what they would sing as they would uh, go forth to those festivals. Now, you may be asking yourself, this is a 10-week series. There's 15 psalms in there. How are we going to solve this problem? Keep an eye out. About every other week, we're going to write a blog on the psalms that we're not going to preach on. So there'll be about five of them. Every Tuesday we put out a blog, uh, so keep an eye out for that blog. It's usually posted to Facebook, or you can go to our website and pick it up on there. So we'll have some of the teaching from this, uh, from this sermon series will be in writing. Most of it will be uh, through preaching, so keep an eye out for those, which brings us to our main idea for this morning. What is our main idea? If we had to sum up this passage in just one sentence, what would it be? It is this, be at peace 
when the world throws lies and deceit your way. Why? Because the Lord hears your cry and sees the truth. The Lord hears your cry and sees your truth. The the tongue's a powerful weapon, isn't it? Words, they're powerful. Words can can break a man's spirit. They can tear down a child's self-esteem and self-worth. They can destroy the way a woman looks at herself and views her body. Lies, slander, deceit. They can lead you to feel like a caged animal. When someone spreads lies about you, right, and you're not able to defend yourself or declare the truth, it feels like you're caged in, you're boxed in. You're like, you're like an animal that's been locked in a cage, and you just want to get out, but you can't because you're constricted, you're confined. You're trapped as the lies surround. No matter what defense you have, you're caged in, nowhere to go. The psalmist feels this way and expresses his emotion and experience to God. Actually, one way that we could read that word, in my distress, that word distress uh, could mean that actually caged in, boxed in. It's the picture that we get. At the heart of the passage is the power of the tongue. I can remember my mom comforting me. I was, I was actually bullied a little bit in elementary school and junior high because I was a little bit on the heavy side, if you get my drift, right? I like to eat. And I was a little, my mom called me chunky, is how she said it. Other kids at school said fatso or fat or things like that. And so I'd come home and I'd be upset that kids were calling me those names. And my mom would say, well, you know, the the old saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words never hurt. Yeah, well, that didn't help. My feelings were still hurt. And I didn't like people calling me names. I mean, who likes to be called names, right? No one. They hurt, don't they? Uh, James actually talks at length in his uh, New Testament epistle about the power of the tongue. He says this in James chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. Get the picture here. A a horse is a massive animal, right? We're in horse country here. Okay, You get this little 110-pound jockey on the back of this big old thoroughbred thundering down that straightaway. I mean, that's a big animal to control with just a little piece of metal in its mouth says we guide their whole bodies as well. He, and then he, now he gives us a picture of a ship. Look, look, to, look at ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided, what, by a very small rudder. In proportion to the rest of the ship, that thing that steers the ship is very small. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, he says this. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Who here has gotten themselves in trouble with their tongue before by saying some stuff you shouldn't? Come on now, like five of us? I feel like every week I'm having to apologize for something I said. Words are powerful. Uh, The power of words soothe us as represented by the calming voice of mother, right? If you think back to your childhood, your mom probably had that soothing voice. When you weren't feeling good, she'd come in and rub your back and and talk words to you and calm you down. She'd give you that. that, So words are are powerful in that way. They can startle us in the dark. Uh, If you walk through North Bullet Christian Church in the hallways from Monday to Friday, you might have someone jump out at you in the hallway to scare you. I've experienced that jump out and say, boo, come out of your skin. I'm thankful the video cameras around here don't have sound in that area because I screamed like a girl about a month ago when somebody yelled, uh, scared me. Words can hurt when, when names are thrown your way. And, and our collective, our group, our church 
can be damaged when our beliefs and ethics are misrepresented in the media. There is, if you haven't noticed this, there's an all-out attack against Christians. In media, in TV shows. And, and some, of that is, some of that is deserved by some of the things that we say, but most of it isn't. It's a misrepresentation. It's slander and lies about God's bride. So words are powerful. This small little part of our body, the tongue, is such a dangerous weapon, isn't it? It's a dangerous weapon. And so how do we respond? We're going to get three ways that we respond that we learn from the psalmist. The first way is prayer. We respond in prayer. Some of you look around and you're like, well, yeah, no kidding. Like, give me something a little bit more substantial than that. This is the most substantial thing that you could do, that you could come to the Lord in prayer. How do we respond when someone is spreading false information, has taken away any ability to defend yourself or make your case, has created assumptions about what you did or your position on a particular matter? Pray to the Lord. Call upon God. Have a conversation with him. The psalmist says this in verse 1, In my distress, what? I called to the Lord. It's so simple. And he answered me. I called to the Lord and he answered me. And I want you to notice the voice of the writer here and the use of time in, in his statement. Is he praying right in this moment? No. He says, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Those are in what? The past tense. The, the writer's leaning on the faithfulness of God in past circumstances now to bring this new prayer to God. He's saying, God, you've been so faithful to me in the past, and so now I call upon you again. I called upon the Lord, and he answered me. The psalmist remembers what the Lord has already accomplished for him and his faithfulness to do this, to listen. To listen. Notice also the, the emotional state of the psalmist, right? It doesn't say he's calm and at peace. What? In distress. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. We'll find out what caused that distress in the next point. But, but the aspect of the Christian life that we focus on here in this, in this first point is on, on the reality of this, that, that God hears you. Did you hear me, family? God hears you and God answers you. God hears you and God answers you. Come to him just as you are. He wants to hear from you. 1 John tells us this, 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence. Did you hear that word? And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Okay, we, don't, we don't come sheepishly to God. We come confidently to him. He says this, that if we ask anything, underline this part, according to his will. That's an important point. According to his will, what does it say? He hears us. And that's good news. Again, how do we respond to lies, slander, and deceit? Pray about it. We pray about it. It seems so simple, right? But, okay, confession time, vulnerable here before you. My first response oftentimes when I find out that someone is lying about me or or spreading misinformation is to get angry and to lash back out. It's not to hit my knees in prayer and talk to the Lord. And I would venture to guess that many of you are the same way, that you have the same struggle. Man, I want to set that right. 
I'm going to set the record straight, right? That's what we say. Well, the writer here says, I called upon the Lord and he answered me. Pray. Pray to God that he, he brings you into alignment with his will. It's not to lash out. It's not, we want to get behind the keyboard, right? I'm going to set, I'm going to go on Facebook. I'm going to tell everybody what happened. That's the keyboard sound if you didn't know that. We first take it to the Lord. This is, this is true in, in both our, our personal lives and also our corporate life as the, as the body of Christ, as the church. There, there's deceit and lies and slander that's spread about the, the body of Christ. So we pray about those things. God, hear our cry, hear our prayer, help us, guide us, lead us that we don't respond in sinful anger, but we respond in grace and peace and we're aligned with your will. Next is the manner in which we approach the Lord. The manner in which we approach the Lord. Point number two, we approach the Lord with honesty. We're honest. Okay, Don't hide anything from God as if you could. Hear this. God sees, all, sees it all. He knows it all. He looks into your innermost thoughts and feelings. That's kind of scary, isn't it? He knows what's in your heart and what's in your mind. Why would you hide that from him? Be honest. He also knows this. We have this confidence because of the life of Jesus that God also came in the flesh, in the person and work of Jesus. And so along with this, he knows what we feel. Jesus felt what we have felt. He, is that, he has that much understanding over your humanity and your flesh. He has felt what you have felt Let's just think about the things that Jesus was called. His, his own family, at one point in Scripture, it notes, his family said he was crazy. He was a madman. It's the Son of God. His family said, this dude's crazy. The religious leaders, Jesus cast out a demon one time, and they said this about Jesus. They said he, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, by the, by the prince of demons. By, he, they said this is, this is someone aligned with Satan. That was the accusation. I think Jesus understands what it feels like to have lies and deceit and slander spread around him. God understands you. He hears you. God relates to you. So just be honest with him. Don't hide it. Don't, don't hold back that emotion from God. That's the beauty of the Psalms is that we see people just ripping open their hearts and bearing them before God. God, this is how I feel. The author says this. We're going to look at verse 2 and then go to verses 5 to 6. It says, deliver me, O Lord. Notice something. You see how that Lord is capitalized? Whenever the Lord is capitalized in the Old Testament, it's the personal name of God, Yahweh, is how we usually pronounce it 
in English, which means we derive that from the meeting that Moses had with God face to face at the burning bush where God said, I am. My name is I am. This writer is saying, deliver me, O Lord, deliver me, I am, past, present, future, ever-present God. Deliver me. He says this, now, now we're going to get at the truth. From lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. So now the truth starts coming to light. Why are you in distress, writer? The truth surfaces because of this, because of lying lips and a deceitful tongue. He says, this is his response. We, I hope we feel the emotion of the writer. Woe to me. He says that I sojourn in Mesek, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. Have you ever felt that way when someone's spreading lies about you and you can't set the record straight and you're just surrounded in it? Maybe in the workplace, like, I just can't escape from this place. I just can't escape from what's going on. I feel like I'm stuck in this foreign and distant land. The psalmist is being honest. He sheds his, his, his protective terms and voice, and, and he cries out to the Lord, Woe to me! His distress is at the point where he feels as if he's in this far-off land. That's, that's the idea behind uh, being in, in Mesek and dwelling among the tents of Kedar separated away, no one to help, no one to relate to, and is surrounded by those, it says, who hate peace. It's a barrage of lies all the time, and you just feel stuck. You're just stuck. What do we do? We're honest. We cry out to God. Cry out to God. He hears your voice. Some of you, some of you in this room have had severe emotional trauma in your life. Perhaps your parents spoke lies to you about your, your image when you were in your youth and it's affected you your whole life. You had no one to, to turn to. No one to talk to. Hear the truth. The Lord cares about you. The Lord cares about you. And the Lord longs to hear from you. He longs to hear from you. His children, maybe you've been married to a spouse who mistreats you and calls you names, attacks your character. The writer here shows us, be honest with the Lord. He hears you. Don't hide it. He can see and and he longs to, the Lord longs to comfort you in your time of need. He's such a great comforter. Or maybe this has occurred in the church. Others have, have lied about you and gossiped with their peers about your personal issues. The person that, that you thought could be trusted that you talked to, they betrayed you. And you feel like you have nowhere to go, no one to run to. Be honest with the Lord. He longs to hear from you. And church family, as, as the corporate body of Christ, if we're honest, our, our culture has declined morally, especially in the last 20 years or so. The, the church has become the center point of attacks from, from outsiders. And then this is where we also need to be honest with ourselves. Some, some of this is because of our own doing. There's been a lot of, there's been no shortage of scandals in the church, hasn't there? 
I mean, almost on a weekly basis, if you, you know, read Christianity Today or other church magazines or, or listen to podcasts, there's just no end to church trauma stories, scandals, financial scandals, adultery, all sorts of grotesque, disgusting sin. So some of it is, is of our own doing. Some of it's because of just unclear uh, articulation of our beliefs and our viewpoints that cause others to misunderstand our position on moral issues. But in the end, the enemy is always going to attack the bride of Christ because he hates her. And he's going to use every different method possible. And one of the ways that he does is by spreading lies and deceit and slander about the church. These attacks crush in positions that we hold from Scripture that seem, there's stuff you look at now and it's like, man, this isn't like really easy and logical and easy to understand. And yet the world looks at us and say, no, you have it wrong. Like, I don't know. Biologically, it seems like it makes sense to me. Let us come to the Lord first and be honest with him. Family, cry out to Jesus. Jesus himself shows us a picture of honesty. I want to I set the scene for you. We're in Luke 22, verse 42. Here's, here's what's going on, because you're not going to get the full picture unless, unless we set the scene. Jesus is he's on the verge of, of heading to Golgotha, heading to the cross, heading to, to execution, heading towards a beating, heading towards nails being put in his hands and his blood being shed. He knows what's coming because he's predicted his death three times at this point. And he's, what is he doing? He's praying, he's crying out to his father. We know that he's under such stress that he's sweating. It says like drops of blood or drops of blood. That's some serious stress, right? And tension. Jesus shows us this beautiful picture of honesty. He says this, Father, if you are willing, what? Remove this cup from me. Then he says this, nevertheless, here's this phrase again, not my will, but yours be done. What incredible honesty that we see in Jesus. He's our example that we can follow in. Notice the alignment of Jesus's prayer with the will of the father. And so hold on to that thought as we go into our third point, perspective, perspective, in this last section that we're going to read, we, we witness a collision of justice and peace that then draws the writer, the psalmist, into God's perspective, into God's will, walking in God's will. He has, he has a change of perspective. What's perspective? It's the way that I see things, right? He has a change in the way that he sees things. It says this, What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? So we, here's... This is the issue. Now we'll see how God is going to respond to that issue. We see justice here. He says, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. What's going to happen to you, lying tongue? Uh, the psalmist is saying, justice will be served. Justice will be served. And it may not be right now, but it's coming. Justice is coming. And then what? So now we see this change, this shift of perspective from distress to this. The psalmist says this in verse 7. I am for peace. 
I am for peace, but when I speak, what does he say? They are for war. Has his position changed? His perspectives changed, but he's still in the midst of these people that are for war. But what's his attitude? I am for peace. He's still amongst the liars and the scoffers, but his perspective has shifted. The beginning section brings justice into view. Here's here's an important word of truth. God is going to handle the issue. God is going to handle it. And it may not be right now, but justice will come. Our God is a God of justice. It may take until the end of time and his final judgment, but God is faithful to uphold the right way. We don't have to overreact We can bring ourselves back to the beginning of the psalm. It says, in my distress, I called and he answered me. Did you hear that? In my distress, I called and he answered me. I want you to say this with me. In my distress, I called and he answered me. That's for you. You call, he answers. A knowledge here now of this is where understanding Scripture and seeing the bigger picture, sometimes we got to kind of lift our head out of the mud for a second and see things the way that they are. We know this truth from the Bible. God is sovereign. What does that mean? God is in control. God has a will and plan. God is bringing that to pass. He's so much in control that he sees everything, he hears everything, he understands everything that's going on, and God acts in accordance with his will in his timing. And so what what does this do for us? A knowledge of the sovereignty of God uh, gives us perspective. It changes our perspective. God, you may not fix this thing right now, but I know that you are a good and loving Father. I know that you hear me, and I know that you will bring about justice, that you will bring about the right way. Change my perspective. Help me from lashing back out and sinning myself. Help me to take the high ground. Stephen Yuley says this. He says, God doesn't deliver the writer from his problems, but from himself. Did you see the shift there? I am for peace, he says. God delivers the psalmist by changing his perspective, thereby preserving him from sin. Here's the change of perspective. He says, I am for peace. If we literally read that in Hebrew, it would say, I peace. Or, even better, I shalom. I shalom. Shalom is a more comprehensive word than peace. Peace doesn't capture the full meaning of what shalom means. Shalom means this, fullness. Okay, my cup overflows. That's the picture we get. I'm at peace. I'm at rest. Everything is well within my soul. This is what we long for, isn't it? That fullness and that peace and rest. And we can have, family, shalom even in the midst of the storm if we would just surrender it to the Lord. Surrender the problem to Him. His will and His timing. We too, family of God, can have a change of perspective. We can have a change of 
perspective. Shalom does this. Shalom does this for Jesus. It takes Jesus from sweating drops of blood in distress to when he was nailed to a cross, looking at his scoffers and saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's peace. Forgiving his enemies that mock him at the foot of the cross. Jesus promises this in John 16, He says, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have what? Peace. Okay? In the world, okay, here's, the, Jesus is getting honest with us here. In the world, you will have tribulation or trouble. It's going to happen. And Jesus gives us this beautiful encouragement, but take heart what I have overcome the world. Peace doesn't come from us, does it? Doesn't well up from within my own willpower and my heart. It comes from him. This beautiful blessing that we have. Jesus promises us shalom or fullness in him. That when the memories of past trauma and lies come, we can rest in his peace. When others lie about you, we can rest in his shalom or his fullness. When the world charges the church falsely as bigots and liars, we can rest in his peace. And so, as we look at this psalm as one setting out on a journey, we're on a journey, I have, I have my pack with me, right? But sometimes you, you bring stuff along on the journey that you can't take with you. If, you. if you get to the TSA checkpoint and you have anything, I think over three and a half ounces, that's liquid, right? So I got my full bottle of shampoo in here that's about 20 ounces. Can I take that through? No, it's weighing me down. I got to take it out, leave it in the trash, continue on. Sometimes we got to shed some weight in the pack for the journey. We got to leave some things behind. How does this psalm relate to a journey? It's this shedding of lies and deceit, which brings us to our application. Shed the weight of lies, deceit, and slander as you journey in your life. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Call upon the Lord. Hand it over to him. He's faithful to hear. I think, I think uh, what we need is, as an application is a call to simplicity. It's so important in this. Pre- we, are, we have information just blasting at us constantly. We have the internet. We have social media. Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and whatever other new social media things coming out. We have a 24-hour news cycle, right? You used to be able to just watch the news, like they had the world news at 5 or 6, and then local news right after that, and then it was done. There's channels that play news all day long, 24 hours a day. Here's the thing. This this is where we we have to take hold of our life. If social media is breaking you down and stealing your joy and peace, then turn it off. Shut it off. There's a practice I put in. Facebook is incredibly useful for our church and communicating things. But a couple months ago, I just, I didn't delete my Facebook account. I deleted the app off of my phone. Because there was a little timer that'd come up once a week. And I'm like, I spent how many hours looking at this thing? 
If you read articles and complaints about you personally or your political position or your identity as a Christian and it puts you in distress, you know what you can do? Turn it off. Mike agrees. Here's another thing. If, every, if everyone else's life appears so perfect and it makes you question you, we question our marriages, our image, the way our kids act, because we look at Facebook and there's this facade and everybody's smiling. Smile for the camera. Oh man, I wish my family was perfect like that. No, they were just yelling at their kids right before. Deactivate the account. You don't need it. You don't have to sojourn in the, in the digital chaos that's out there. You don't have to do it. Turn it off. We, here's, a, here's something that's amazing. We survived life before Facebook. How about the 24-hour news cycle? CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. I covered all the bases there, okay? So everybody's offended. They all, they all cancel each other out, so if you're going to email me about your favorite news station, it, someone else is mad too, so we're good. You don't need to send the email. Let me, let me spell it out, and you guys know this. There's, no one, there's not one source of objective news out there. Everything's subjective, and it's all driven by money. The longer they can get you to sit there and fry your brain listening to them talk over the same things over and over and over and over again, the more cash they're raining in, right? You don't need it. If they're stealing your joy in Christ, there's this thing called a remote control, and it's got a big round red button up in the corner that says off. Push it. Turn it off. I'm not telling you to be ignorant. Seek out relevant stories. Stay informed. We need to know what's going on so we can pray about current events and we can see the way that the Lord's working and and areas that we need to bring the gospel into and help people's needs. We need to stay informed. And then we do this step. Turn it off. We don't need it on all the time. And so pray, be honest, change your perspective. Lastly, I want to leave you with this good news. It's, it's a beautiful example that Peter gives us in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 24. I hope you walk away. Keep, keep this passage, save it. It says this, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. It says this, Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You might be like Jesus says this, he committed no sin. Neither was, hear this, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, remember, he's an example. When he was reviled, what does it say? He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he did this, continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. God will execute his justice in due time. He himself, this, this is the gospel right here. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that is the cross, that we might do this, die to sin, live to righteousness. Jesus bore your sin so that you would die to it and live 
as he has lived, that you would live for truth and righteousness and for his mission and cause. Jesus is such a great example for us in his perfect life, death, and his resurrection. Walk in the light of Christ.